Now, take your Bibles. I'm going to be reading from the ESV, the English Standard Version. Romans chapter 8. Beginning in verse 5. We're going to read all the way through verse 13. Now rather than just a lot of words coming at us, try to think about what it is we're actually reading here. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. To set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law, indeed it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. But, if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. So then, brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But... If by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Now, the very first thing I want you to do this morning, or I want to do this morning, is to help us get a feel for these nine verses. Some of you might be thinking, Brother, that's just too much information to grasp in one quick reading. Anybody think that? If you do think that, you'd be right in thinking that. There's a lot here. I realize 225 words worth of inspired information, at least in our ESV Bibles, and it all might seem sort of complex and complicated at first sight. So, what we need to do, what I want to do, what I want us to take a little bit of time to do, is to sort it out. Just unpack the contents and kind of simplify things. That's how I want to start. And I, I think we can do that. First, if we stand back and kind of look at this 
whole set of nine verses as a whole. Let's try to get the big picture first. What can be said about the verses we just read as a whole? What do you guys think? Can we do this? Father, we need your help to do this. Lord, only you can make the word come alive. I can't. Only you can penetrate the heart with this. I can't. Lord, you can make it come alive. You can make this speak. You can make this word living. You can put a fire there. You can make something burn in our hearts. You can give us something that we can go away with today, that we can take home with us, that can be valuable, that can be helpful, that can be life-changing. And I can't do that, Lord. I can't. So please, please help us. Okay, what can we say about all this? Would you, would you guys not agree? There's a lot here. But see, if we break it down, we boil it all down. We come, we, let's just bring this down to the simplest place possible. Try to, try to get our fingers into this thing. First thing I want you guys to realize, now I know you can't look at this and see this necessarily, but I'll tell you this is a fact. There are no imperative verbs in any of these nine verses. So what? So what? What does that mean? An imperative verb communicates a command, basically. So if there isn't one, what's the conclusion? What's the conclusion about these nine verses? There's no commandments. Paul here is giving us no direct imperative, no direct command, no direct instruction, no direct no direct directive about how we should live or the way we should live. The verbs throughout this entire section are indicative verbs. Now listen to me. Listen. Indicative you hear in that indicate. Do you know what indicative verbs do? They indicate statements of fact. They tell us how things are. They are descriptive. Commandments in the Bible stress things we must do. Statements of fact in the Bible stress things we must believe. That's crucial. So, if you want to boil all these nine verses down to something, we know that for a fact. We're, we're, Paul is not giving you a commandment to do. He is giving you factual descriptions to believe. Well, you might ask, a description of what? A description of you. 
Isn't that interesting? Folks, think about that. Why? Why in the world would you ever need a description about yourself? I mean, if anybody knows you, isn't it you? Why, why would God do this in His Word? And the answer is simple. It really is simple. The answer is because we don't believe correctly about ourselves. If anything's true, folks, you might think, wow, the guy walking down the street out here, if anybody's going to know him, it would be him. And yet it isn't amazing over and over and over in the Bible what we get is this reality that we don't know ourselves. We don't even know how to properly define ourselves. We don't know what's true about ourselves. Men and women across this world have every distorted concept about who they really are. And, and this is true about Christian and non-Christian. The fact is, folks, Paul isn't giving this description because men seem to have an accurate assessment of themselves. He's giving this description because our natural tendency is to not know ourselves. Because we don't, we have portions of Scripture like this to spell out who and what we are in order to wake us up to the reality of who and what we are. So these nine verses are descriptive. They're not imperative. God is describing, not commanding. You guys all got that, right? You can come to this body of Romans 8 now and you, you can have that nailed down in your mind. But let's consider further. I want you to notice what is being described. Look at verses 8 and 9. And you're going to need to do this. You're going to need to have your Bibles open. You're going to need to be looking right there at Romans 8. All the way through this. All the way through. So verse 8. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but... That's a key word there. In the Spirit. Oh, I, I want to ask you guys a simple question. Who is being described here? Who's being described in verse 8? Those who are what? In the flesh. That's it. But that's not all. In verse 9, we also have a description of those who are in the Spirit. So there isn't only one description in these verses. There are actually two. In a nutshell, that's what's going on all the way through these nine verses. Paul builds a description of two sorts of people. And he does it, now catch this, he does it by way of contrast. You all know what a contrast means, right? We contrast two objects when we want to emphasize the differences between those two objects. An example of a contrast would be... I don't know if it's true about that guy going by on the bike right there, but if I said, that guy on the bike 
is no good at sports. But that guy walking over there that way is. That would be a contrast, right? And you hear, I throw that word but in there. That is a word that gives away that there is a contrast. If I say, he is short, but she is tall, that's a contrast. And the, that, that coordinating conjunction in there, but, that cues us off to, to that reality. Right? Now notice verse 5. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. You, you guys all see that contrast. Paul first gives a little description of those in the flesh, then contrasts it by the opposite description of those in the Spirit. Then he goes back to those in the flesh, contrasts it again with those in the Spirit, back and forth all the way through these verses, right up to verse 13. Look at 13. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But, there's your conjunction of contrast. If by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. It's pretty plain, right? Oh, no. You guys are all looking. Hey, I'll tell you, when I get into the Word of God, this stuff excites me. And just, you know what excites me? Try to make God's Word simple. That excites me. And it's not easy. I beat my head on that desk all week trying to figure out how to make this simple. This is pretty simple once you begin to sort it all out. It really is. So, so let's sum it all up. These nine verses. What do we have here? Two descriptions of two categories of people. The non-Christian who is in the flesh, and the Christian who is in the Spirit. These two categories of people have two distinct mindsets. You see that in verse 5. Do you not? The mind set on the things of the flesh. On the other hand, the mind set on the things of the Spirit. This leads to two patterns of conduct. Living according to the flesh. Living according to the Spirit. These two lives culminate in two ends. Death on the one hand. Peace and life on the other. Nine verses of contrast. Now, we've kind of laid that out very simply, giving you the structure of it. Before we dive into these things more deeply, I want to re-emphasize something. I guess I want to emphasize. Well, listen. The most important thing if, if God has not given us commandments here and He's given us descriptions, the most important thing you can do with this portion of Romans is believe it. Believe that men are the way God says they are in these verses. Believe that there are two radically different kinds of people in this world. Believe that one or the other of these descriptions describes everyone. Believe that one or the other of these descriptions describes you. Now listen. I'll, I'll just say this again. Did you catch what I just said? 
one of these two descriptions is your description. Someone might say, Preacher, no, no, no. I don't really see myself fitting either of these two categories. I'm not like those in the flesh. I may not be like those in the spirit, but I'm not, I'm not like those in the... Now listen to me. Listen very carefully. Look again at your Bibles. Right there in verse 9. I want you to see something. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. Okay, so what? What did that just say? Look again. You are not in the flesh. Why? What is it that qualifies you? What is it that's true about you if you're not in the flesh, but in the Spirit? If the Spirit of God dwells in you. But look at the, what that implies. If the Spirit of God doesn't dwell in you, what's implied? You are in the flesh. You either do have the Spirit of God indwelling you, or you don't. Period. There's no middle ground. There's no third category. It's either one or the other. You have the Spirit of Christ or you don't. Once you get that thought straight in your mind, you must come to realize that Romans 8, 5 through 13 does in fact describe you one way or the other. One description or the other must describe you. Do you realize what that means? You can't be casual about this. You can't think that this has nothing to do with you. This is not a place for apathy or indifference. You simply can't do that with these verses. You say, yes, I can. No, you can't. If it is a God-given description of you, 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 can say, you can say, I don't care. Okay, and that's true. Some don't care. But that nevertheless, does not, it never changes the fact that it's true about you. You cannot like it. You cannot mind it. You cannot give regard to it. You cannot care about it. But yet it is true. You see, that's the real issue here. God wants you to believe this. Suppose somebody wrote a newspaper article about you. I mean, this afternoon we're having lunch and all of a sudden, you know, Express News Van pulls up. They come in here and they come right over to you and they say, wow, you know, you're the perfect person. We're looking for a person just like you. We want to do an interview for you. And the paper comes out Tuesday morning and their headlines, you're, you are the main article. You would probably be interested in going out and getting one of those papers and reading the article. Why would you? Because it's about you. You care what you would care about what somebody has to say about you. You would be interested. Now, guys, the reality is this little newspaper bit isn't true about most of us. In fact, probably none of us in this room is this true about. But listen, listen. If you would be interested about that, how much more then should you be interested if the living God has written about you? And he has. Folks, 
There is nothing more personal, more practical, more particularly applicable to you in your life than these words. So, that's what we have here. Two God-given contrasting descriptions where either one or the other describes every individual in the world and closer to home describes you. You can hang your name. I guarantee you, you can hang your name on one of these descriptions. And God wants you to believe that. So, now, let's go deeper. In all, or if all of us are either in the flesh or in the spirit, don't we need to answer a couple questions? Like maybe, what does in the flesh mean? What does in the spirit mean? Both of these are utterly foundational. And I'll tell you, I would have loved to have gotten to both today, but I can't. I, I meant to go much further. All we can deal with today is what is in the flesh. What does that mean? What is the significance? What are people like who fit this description? Let's ponder this. The flesh. Does that sound foreign to your ears? To, to some of us who have been Christians long enough and been reading the Bible long enough, it doesn't sound foreign. But I'll tell you what, if you're not accustomed to Christianity, you're not accustomed to the preaching of God's Word, you're not accustomed to hearing Christian doctrine, it may sound very foreign to you. Flesh. Nine times in these nine verses we have the flesh. There are those who are in the flesh, they live according to the flesh, they set their minds on the things of the flesh. What is flesh? What is this thing? We have to ask that. Because we don't talk that way today in our society. When we say flesh in our day, we typically mean skin or tissue or meat. That soft substance of our bodies. But in the Bible, especially in the Apostle Paul's writings, the term flesh has to do with what man is by nature. It is that merely human sphere. It's that that natural realm. Listen, by nature, man is fallen. By nature, Man is corrupt, depraved, twisted. The flesh is that twisted human nature. It's, it's corrupt humanity from which that deep rebellion comes. We can say the flesh is that... It, well, it's what we are when rebellion against God and hostility to God rule our bodies and our minds. You see this in verses 7 and 8. Look there. For the mind that is set on the flesh is what? hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. So by the flesh, Paul means this. You want, you want a good summary picture of what it means to be in the flesh? If some guy walks by right there and we look at him and we know that man is in the flesh, you know what that means? means 
that he is walking in that old, rebellious, unsubmissive, insubordinate, law-despising, God-hating, Christ-rejecting, self-sufficient nature that cannot in any way whatsoever ever, ever please God. And if you are not a Christian, I'll tell you this, this describes you. You may be moral. I'm not arguing that. You may live in a good part of town. You may live in a bad part of town. You may dress nice. You may dress not so nice. That isn't the issue. I'm not looking at your outside circumstances. I'm not looking at any of that. I'm not looking at what car you drive. I'm not asking you whether you helped your grandmother last weekend. That isn't the issue. The issue is this. God's Word teaches us under... Folks, without... Without any exception, if you are not a Christian, you are in the flesh. And if you are in the flesh, what I just said describes you. That's a fact. In the flesh. But here's the thing. Here's the thing. Most non-Christians won't admit that this is true of them. I told you at the beginning, we need God's help to see ourselves accurately. Because men don't naturally see themselves as they ought to see themselves. Most men and women in this world, hear this. Because this to some people is a startling fact. Most men and women in this world are in the flesh. How do I know that? Because Jesus Christ said that few there are that find eternal life. And the only way, folks, it's teaching right here is you've got to be in the Spirit if you're going to find life. Amen. And if Jesus Christ says that there are few there be that find eternal life, then there are few that are in the Spirit. Which means that the, the vast majority of mankind, of humanity out there, you know, this idea that, well, God just could never send whole nations of Hindus in India to hell. Well, that's very interesting because according to the Scriptures, it does say that. But according to the Scriptures, it also says that some from every tongue and every nation and every kindred, every tribe, which includes India, they're going to be there in that day. But the reality behind this is the, the bulk majority of mankind right now that walks this earth that we see, that we're confronted with, and many of you that sit in this room right now, you're not a Christian. Some of you don't claim to be. Some of you claim to be and you're really not. But it doesn't matter which is true about you. The fact is, if you're really not a Christian, whether you think so or not, you're in the flesh. That describes the unbeliever. In the flesh. Now, folks. Do you think that the people out here that are in the flesh by and large, believe they're in the flesh. Do you think they believe it? Folks, most of the people out here don't even have a clue of what in the flesh means, let alone believe they are such. But even if we're able to teach them and give them that understanding, teach them what this is, they still won't admit it's true. Let me tell you something. The basic essence of being in the flesh is this. It's to hate God. Are you guys finding many people as you walk through your daily lives that admit that they hate God? People don't admit that. 
They don't admit it. Read Romans 8, 7 with me. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. I don't know how you define hostility, but I'll tell you, look in, the, look in your little lexicon at, at the meaning of this word. The old King James would translate this word enmity. You know what that word means? I'm not saying enemy itself. It's close. Folks, it's the word for hatred. Hatred. Men won't admit to being in the flesh because they won't admit that they hate God. But what do they do? They run right out there and they break His commandments all day long. That's what they do. You ask somebody, do you hate God? No, no, I don't hate God. But you're sleeping with your girlfriend. Yeah, I know. But that doesn't mean I hate God. It doesn't. Folks, you can't do that. That doesn't work. Look again at verse 7. I'll show you it doesn't work. The mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. It hates God. It's at enmity against God. It is an enemy of God. It despises God for it does not submit to God's law. Do you see the word for? Right there in the middle of the verse. We could read that as because. The mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God because. For the very reason that such a mind does not submit to God's law. Did you get that? Did you really get that? Not submitting to God's law is exactly where man's hostility to God surfaces. And don't you dare tone down that word hostility. It means hatred. Man hates God for the very reason that he does not want to be told what to do. Now hear me. For those of you who don't care what God says, you want to live your way, you want to do what you want to do, you're not interested in submitting to the commandments of anyone, I'll tell you this, Paul is not asking you if you think you hate God. He's telling you that you do hate God. That's how it is to be in the flesh. But you know what? There's something else here. Let's go to the next verse. Look at verse 8. Those who are in the flesh... Cannot please God. How many people do you know that admit that God is not pleased with them? I'll tell you this. Man will not admit that he hates God, but he also will not admit that God is not pleased with him. And that brings this stark reality back to us. 
that God is not pleased with most of the people alive on the earth right now. Praise the Lord. He is thank. He is pleased with some. For Christ's sake and by His grace, He is pleased with some. But with most, He's not. But you know what men do, right? If the true God isn't pleased with men, then they just ignore that. And they try to think that He is pleased with them. Right? I mean, let's go back to the guy who insists he doesn't hate God even though he's sleeping with his girlfriend. You you say to him, do you think God is displeased with you? Do you think that? No. No, I I don't think God's displeased with me. I, I... I think he understands. I think he understands that I love my girlfriend. And folks, I'm not talking about something you don't know here. We were like this. If you're in this room and you're saved, you were like this. You see what men do? They create a God they don't have to hate. They create a God who is pleased with them, even though they fornicate with their girlfriend. They create a God that is pleased with them, even though there's some idiot drunk. That's what men by nature do. That is right at the core of being in the flesh. We just recreate God. We create Him as something we can live with and be happy with, and we imagine Him to be pleased with us. That's exactly what we do. One that smiles at us. A God of our own imagination. But I'll tell you this. If you're in the flesh, the true God is not and will never be and cannot be pleased with you. I want the fullness of this to grab you. Notice verse 7 again. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. You know what that looks like? You know what the word hostile looks like? It looks like an adjective. Hostile. Which would modify mind. The hostile mind. But that word isn't an adjective at all. It's a noun. Paul isn't simply saying that the fleshly mind is hostile. He is saying it is hostility itself. Not just hateful. It is hatred itself. It's not just corrupt. It is corruption. Not only rebellious. It is rebellion. Not just wicked. It is wickedness. The mind that is set on the flesh is hostility itself. The lost may not feel it. They may not know it. They may deny it. It may seem absurd, even ridiculous in their own estimation. Nevertheless, it is true. Yes, I know. We were there. Those who are in the flesh, they can tolerate a God as long as He's a God they've created. Not the God who created them. The God they create. You know what? You know why men are so quick to want a Christ who's dead on a crucifix on the wall? Or some effeminate, dove-eyed, long-haired, pathetic person on a picture on a wall? Or a little harmless babe in a manger you know why they like that picture of Christ 
because it fits in with their hatred for the true God. All these things are the, dis they're the designs of that heart that is in the flesh. But the thought of the glorious risen Christ full of all majesty and power, ruling the nations with a rod of iron, commanding men, you forsake all that you have if you're going to be my disciple. That kind of Christ, demanding total resignation to His authority and lordship. Now that's another thing. Men can tolerate a little religion, but they have no toleration for the true Christ while they live in the flesh. They are not just hostile to this Christ. They are absolute hostility. They're like those in Luke 19, 14 who hated him and sent a delegation after him saying, we do not want this man to reign over us. Save us from hell. Yes. But God forbid, never tell us what to do. That is man in the flesh. It isn't just that he won't submit to God's law. Verse 7 says he cannot submit to God's law. And I'm talking to some of you right now in this room who cannot. You know you can't. You are bent for evil. You love it. You may have had thoughts of cleaning up your life, but you cannot. You're in the flesh. You don't have any spiritual power. You cannot. That's what the word cannot means. It means no ability, no power, no will, no desire for it, no inclination to it, no draw towards it at all. This describes some of you. Deep down, you know it does. And I want to appeal personally to each of you who do not know the Savior and are in the flesh. Why? Why are you hostile to God? You see that sun shining off the wall over there? That's His sun. He gave it to shine on you today. He hasn't ignored you. Hasn't He given you His food to eat today and His clothes to put on your back? You've come here today with some measure of health and strength because of His kindness to you. Let me ask you this. Do you hate God because He's done some kindness to you? Some good to you? Is that the reason? Just think of the many mercies you've received at His hands during your life. You're not dead yet! You deserve to be. But it is His arm and His arm alone that has held back your soul from destruction. Do you hate Him for that? Do you hate Him because He has so far spared your life by His tender mercies? Think about His goodness to you, man. You might be in hell already, but you're here. You're not there. You're here. Do you hate God for sparing you? Why are you hostile towards Him?
Why? Don't you know that this God I'm telling you about sent His Son from glory, hung Him on that cross, and there spilled His wrath on Him all for sinners. He died the just for the unjust. Do you hate Him for that? Is that the cause of your hostility? When God surrounds you with favor and lavishes you with these mercies and circles you with His tenderness, do you hate Him for that? Listen, folks. Do you hate your mother because she took care of you when you were young or hate your spit in the face of your father because He provided for you as you grew up? You wouldn't do that. Where is your heart? Where is your heart? To hate this God, be hostile to Him, it, it is, it's downright devilish and satanic. It is wicked. There aren't words to describe the wickedness that, that is the reality of us if we are in the flesh. To hate the all-lovely, to despise Him who is good, to resent the kind and gracious Lord. Above all, to hate the God who sent His Son to die for man. What a thought. The mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. This is what it means to be in the flesh. It is to hate your Savior. What a thought. What a wretched thought. That you are a savior hater. I just ask you this. I end with this. Is there someone here like this? And you're just, you know it. But you're weary of it. You're tired of being a slave to sin. You can see the ways you've walked they have been pure foolishness. I mean, what advantage is there to stand in opposition and hate your Creator? There is no wisdom in standing in opposition to Him. Listen. Don't deny it. Remember this. Remember this. Your hatred for Him is spelled out in your hatred for His law. Your rebellion, your sin, your transgression speaks loudly about your hatred for God. The last cup you got drunk with it speaks to you. You are a God-hater. Whatever walls of whatever room echoed back the last profanity of God's name that came from your lips echoes. You are a God-hater. Those lips you told that last lie with, they speak. You can let them speak. Say, God-hater. You love filthy movies. That TV shouts at you, God-hater. 
And you see, it's our very rebellion. If you just think about, hmm, do I really hate God? Think about this. Christ said, if you love me, keep my commandments. And it is so amazing that men are so blind and so stupid and so backward that they can never realize that the exact opposite is true also. That if I do not keep his commandments, it's because I don't love him. It's because I hate him. Is that what you would die with? That tag on your tombstone? Here lies a Christ hater. Listen, you might be sitting there saying yes. You've just described me. I'm in the flesh. I see it. I know it. Is there any hope for me? Is there any hope if I have hated Christ? Is there hope? Did you see the song we sang last? God and sinners reconciled. You know what the word reconciled means? It means those that hate each other are made friends. God has reconciled. Romans 5.10 While we were enemies, and enemies hate each other, while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of His Son. You know what's amazing? What's true of you if you're in the flesh is you are a Christ hater. And God sent that very Christ you hate to die for His enemies, those that hate Him, that they might turn God-haters into God-lovers by the cross of Jesus Christ. Say, how does that happen? I'll tell you this. The Old Testament shows us the people of Israel. And there's a bunch of events that evolved, but these people ended up being in the midst of a whole lot of snakes. And those snakes would bite. And whoever they bit, they died. Terribly venomous vipers. God had mercy on them. You know what He did? He said, Moses, make a fiery serpent. He made one out of bronze and he stuck it on a pole. And God said this, you go through the camp and you hold up that fiery serpent. Whoever looks, they just look. They'll be cured. They'll be healed. In John chapter 3, it says, just as Moses lifted up the serpent, the Son of Man is to be lifted up on Calvary's cross. And you'll be saved the same way. You just look. You say, wait, wait, that's too simple. Now wait a second. You've already admitted you're a Christ hater. Don't hate the simplicity of the Gospel. God made it so simple that God-haters could easily find a way to be saved. 
He didn't make it hard. You look and you believe. You see in Christ the divine wrath of God poured upon Him. The wrath of God. Justice vindicated. My sin paid. Redemption. My acceptance. You know what? If you know this describes you and you're just weary of that sin, look and live. Listen to what your Redeemer says. Look unto me and be saved. All the ends of the earth. Are you in the flesh? You know it? You want to figure out how to be in the Spirit? The only way to be in the Spirit is by looking to Jesus Christ in faith. Oh, it's simple. But it's going to be that simple message to change this world and turn it upside down. Most of the people out there are God-haters. There's only one thing that's going to change that. And that's that cross of Christ. Amen. Look to Him and be saved. Father, I pray that You would move upon somebody to do just that. May this Word be a living Word. May it bring forth life. May they see Christ. May You give them eyes to see in a way that I can't. May the Spirit of God do a work here that, that we are not able and capable of doing. I pray it in Christ's name. You're dismissed.